Praise God. As I was preparing for this weekend, I, I felt one dominant word that God wanted to really pass down. And, and I just tried to feel after God just to make sure it's the right word. Because we live in a time where church can no longer be wasted and where services can no longer be wasted. Folks, this, this game's wrapping up. This game's wrapping up and, and Jesus is coming back. So every time we get an opportunity to come worship God and be in the house of God, I, I don't take it for granted. And I definitely want to thank you, congregation, the church, for trusting me with your most precious commodity, that is your time. Thank you for trusting me with your time for just a few minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then I'm going to jump into Psalm 119. It's normally at this point that I say that um, I'm not going to preach long because I'm hungry. But I had a big breakfast right before church. But don't worry, I'm still not going to preach long because I do like food enough to be hungry twice. <laughs> Praise God, right? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4, and starting with verse 7. goes on to say that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. <laughs> I like that. And then Paul really finishes all these thoughts and concepts in verse number 16, where he goes on further and he says, For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed daily. For our light affliction, which is before a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Sometimes we think as to why are we going through affliction? Why are we going through trouble? Why are we going through persecution? Why are we going through all the bad things that life often throws towards our way? And then God says, I'm just working in you a weight of glory. I'm, I'm working in you something, something latter, something greater, something much more powerful that you can't quite see just now. But God's in charge. So Psalm chapter 119, and I'm going to deliver some concepts and, and I'm going to share part of my story. And then we're going to see what Jesus does. Is that all right? So Psalm chapter 119, I truly thought about reading the whole chapter. But then God quickly corrected me. Because we are definitely all going to get hungry if I start reading the whole chapter. <laughs> Psalm chapter 119, it started, or just one verse, verse 71. David goes on to say that it is good for me that I have been afflicted. He says that I might learn thy statutes. David's saying it is good for me that I went through some stuff, God. He says, because in all reality, I've learned to see you in a light that I've never seen you before. So David's looking at circumstance and he's saying, it's not a bad thing that I went through pain. It's a blessing that I went through pain. So for a few minutes, I want to preach along the title, the blessing of pain. Can we put our Bibles down? Can we lift our hands and can we just Ask God to open our hearts, to expedite our faith. Oh, come on, in one voice, and one accord, let's open our mouths and, and let's say, Jesus, could you open my mind? Could you open my heart? Could you expedite my faith, God? Lord, would you let the word, God, just have free 
Would you let the word, God, just begin to speak life, speak hope, speak joy, God. Would you let it multiply faith, God. That whatever circumstance there be that the saints of God came into the house of God with, God, I, I pray, oh God, that you begin to abase it all, God, that you begin to make it go back from where it came from, Lord, and that in everything we learn your lessons, in everything we learn what you would have us to learn in this day and in this hour, God, Lord, would you grow our faith to see you in a light we've never seen you before in the midst of trouble, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of everything that seems like it's going wrong. God, would you strengthen us? In Jesus' name, now can we clap unto the Lord? <laughs> It's been said the four best words in Pentecost. You may be seated. I always pick on tall pulpits. That make me look really short. I am short. <laughs> but David, David was the son of Jesse. And David wore different hats in his lifetime. You see, David was a shepherd, he was an armor bearer, he was a heart player for, for King Saul in a time when it was not popular to be a heart player for King Saul. You see, David was a soldier at a time he would be a king, and at other times he would be a prophet of God. He also partook of the privilege of being a husband and as well as, as, well as a father. However, David is not best known for any of that stuff. David is not best known for being a father, nor a husband, nor a king. No, David is best known for what he contributed to the Chronicles of Time, known as the Book of Psalms. David is, is known for the songs that he contributed to the Echoes of Time, known as the Book of Psalms. Because it's in the book of Psalms that you, you learn what praise is. It's in the book of Psalms that you learn what a posture of worship is. It's in, in the book of Psalms that you learn to approach the throne of God when you come into the presence of God. <laughs> but I began to study what worship and what, what praise is, especially in reference to, to the light of King David. And I began to realize that, that David's worship was, was, was not superficial worship. David's praise was, was not superficial praise. As a matter of fact, David's worship was rooted in an anchor called experience. Everything David would ultimately posture his heart to worship God about was rooted out of a circumstance that he went through, a trial that he came out of, a mountaintop that he's been on because he just finished out of a valley. Everything David would ultimately glorify God out of was birthed out of, out of anguish. Everything David would magnify God about was, was birthed out of trouble, was birthed out of circumstance, was birthed out of, out of heartache. <laughs> Very few times do you find David just praising and magnifying from a mountaintop. No, 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 no. You find David worshiping and praising out of a cave because it was anguish that ultimately birthed David into being the great man of God that David would ultimately be recognized as. You see, I, I kind of began to go through my, my walk with God and I, and I realized how, how much I wanted the, the triumphal life of King David. I wanted the, the victories of King David. I wanted the, the, the great moments of King David had. I, I wanted to walk on the high horse which King David walked on. But, but then God just began to deal with me one day and, and just began to deal with me and saying, Joe, you, you want the mountaintops of King David, but you don't, 
You don't want the shoes which David had to walk through in order to get to those mountaintops. You don't want to go through the valleys which David had to go through to get to the mountaintops which David would ultimately get to. Then it began to dawn on me that King David became King David not despite his difficult life, but, but because of his difficult life. <laughs> he ultimately made it to the mountaintops. He ultimately made it to the great moments. He ultimately made it to the powerful moments of God, not because he avoided the valley and not because he escaped the valley. No, no, no. He made it to those things because he embraced the valley and said, God, whatever you have to teach me in the middle of the storm, I'm going to learn what you have to teach me and I'm going to humble myself in your presence and I'm going to encourage myself in your throne. So I began to realize that, that I can't imagine a deep King David that had a normal, that had a steady, that had a balanced life full of everything he ever wanted with no struggles. I, I can't imagine that kind of David because that kind of David does not exist. That kind of spiritual hero does not exist. And those kind of spiritual heroes do not exist in the, in the chronicles of Scripture. Everybody that is somebody in the Bible had to go through something. Anybody that is somebody in the Bible had to go through some trouble. You know, so David is exactly who he is because he went through the many, the many valleys. So it, it begins to dawn on us that it's the valleys that make us who we really are. It's the troubles that really form us into the man, into the woman that we need to be in the, in the sight of God. It's, it's all those things that come against us that ultimately pivot God in a position where he looks great, where, where he looks wonderful, where, where he looks like he is the only one that could pull us out. And, and in all reality, God is our only help in times of need. In all reality, God is, is the only one that could pull you out of the miry clay. In all reality, God is our only healer when we need healing. I, I came to propose to you today that pain in this emotional thing, that in this emotional life that we live is not, is not something that is going to crucify you or, or crucify your potential for God. As a matter of fact, pain is something that's going to set you up to actually being the man and the woman that you need to be for God. Pain that we go through in the highways and the byways of life actually help us to reach our greatest accomplishments in God. Pain actually pivots us to where we become the great man and woman that we need to be in his sight so I join my voice with David in saying that that pain is not a bad thing pain is not something that I'm going to neglect pain is not something that I'm just going to happenstancely come across no pain is something I'm going to embrace because pain is a blessing pain is something that is going to grow me in the sight of God you know not long ago there was a man that that frequented the United Pentecostal Church and he was Harold in Texas, and his name was uh, J.T. Pugh. You see, J.T. Pugh was a very unique man and a wise man, but he was a very tested man. And that he went through many struggles, and he went through many sicknesses and many trials. And, and one day, this young man walks up to this pastor, this seasoned pastor, and he says, Pastor, I want, I want your authority. He says, I, I want your power. I want your blessings. I want to be able to do what you do and the effectiveness that you do it. And he said, Pastor, could you lay your hands on me and pray that God would give it to me like he gave it to you? And Pastor said, of course. <laughs> so Pastor brings him up. He lays his hand on his head and he says, Lord, 
I pray that you strike this man with cancer. <laughs> he says, Lord, I pray that you let financial distress come over his life. God, I pray that he goes through circumstance after circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. And, and by that time, this young man just takes his hand off his head and he says, Pastor, I didn't ask you to pray that stuff. He said, I didn't ask you to pray all those negative things. I didn't ask you to pray all those ugly things, Pastor. I wanted all the good things, not the bad things. And wittingly, Pastor Pugh looks at him and says, son, if you can't handle my valleys, he says, you can't handle my mountaintops. He says, son, if you can't handle what I've been through, you can't handle where I am because it's the valleys that made me who I am. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I know who my God is. I know who my Lord is. For though I go through it, it's, it's not going to destroy me because he is by my side. He coaches me. He guides me. He sustains me. He covers me. That is God. So, so I want to propose to you that the pain that we go through through life is not to make you lose your faith in God, but to make you begin to say, God, I want to know you. Like Paul said, you know, Paul, Paul would stand up in the New Testament and says, I, I desire to know him, but I, I don't just want to know him in the glory of his resurrection. You know, because many people just want to know God when, when he's a resurrected God, when, when he's the triumphant God, when he's the, the all-powerful God. But Paul said, no, I don't just want to know him when he's resurrected. He says, I want to know you, Lord, but I, I also want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering. That if you're truly going to have a resurrecting moment with God, you have to first have a crucifying moment with God. And say, God, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. God, I don't know why I'm facing what I'm facing. But God, I do know one thing and one thing for sure is that you will not abandon me and you will not forsake me. You will not forget me. You will not, you will not lose sight of where I live. God, I do know one thing that if you have ordained this trial for my life, it's probably going to make sense because you are the God that sees it from hindsight. You are the God that reads everything from end to beginning, not from beginning to ending. God, you are a Lord that truly governs every circumstance that I could possibly go through so Lord I want to know you but first I want to know you in the fellowship of your suffering before I ever get to knowing you in the glory of your resurrection because your resurrecting moment with God is only going to be as great as your crucifying moment with God your resurrecting moment is only going to be as great as your crucifying moment with with God and you see me personally I I never thought this, this lesson would become so personal to me at such a young age. You see, it was at the, at the age of 18 that God sought to teach me the lesson of pain. And it was at the age of 18 that God sought to, to teach me what it meant to truly trust on him when you can't really figure it out. You see, I envy anybody that has had the potential to be raised in an apostolic family. I, I envy anybody that has had the privilege to be raised in an apostolic church like, like this church is because right from the get-go, you know how to reach your God and right from the get-go, you know right where to come when you need a blessing and when you need hope and, and when you need joy and when you need a fix. Put it plainly, right from the get-go, you know where to reach your king. You see, but I... I didn't have the privilege of being raised on these pews. I, I didn't have the privilege of being raised knowing this truth. You see, I come out of a pastor's home. 
but I come out of a Romanian pastor's home that isn't a church that follows this measure of faith and isn't a church that knows how to necessarily tap into the goodness and the riches of God and to the blessings of the Lord. It isn't a church that is 100% doctrinally sound. <laughs> but it was at the age of 17, that age 17, 18, that, that God sought to change everything. <laughs> Let me make it a little more plain. I was sitting in a coffee shop one day. <laughs> you see, I'm of the opinion that God speaks in coffee shops. I really believe it. I, I really entirely believe it. Every Bible study I've ever taught, every soul I've ever won has come out of a coffee shop because that's just where the anointing dwells. You know, that's just, that's just where the anointing dwells. If they serve coffee, there's anointing there. Hence, there's anointing in this church because there's coffee out there. <laughs> glory. <laughs> uh, a little bit of a joking, but, but lighten up. <laughs> So um, I was sitting in a coffee shop and, and I just felt God be, just to begin to prompt my spirit, prompt my, my soul just to get on Google. <laughs> so I began to Google what I literally felt the Lord tell me to Google and I Googled Christian music. That's a very generic term to Google and, and or to, to very generic search to put in Google. And, and after I, I just began to Google Christian music, over, over 350 million hits popped up. And, and out of those hits, you had Hillsong and you had all the, all the big hot shots that were out there in regards to Christian music. And, 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 and this was seven or eight years ago. Wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> so, so this is seven or eight years ago. And, and about 350 or so million hits come up on there. And, and none of them were really groups that I, I recognized. You know, but the first thing that came up to the top of that list was, was, a, was a school out of Indianapolis, Indiana, by the name of Indiana Bible College. <laughs> and and I, I, I just clicked that first video that I saw of IBC right there, and, and, and I just began to weep in the middle of that school, or in the middle of that coffee shop. Because I literally felt a power come out of that screen that I've never felt before in my life. I felt an identity come out of that screen that I've never, I've never felt before in my life. And I said, God, I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> But God, I want it. You know, sometimes God will place you in these positions where, where he allows you to encounter his presence in, in such a way that it kind of teases you to say, hey, do you want more or are you, are you satisfied with what you have? You know, so, so God, when he begins to probe you and when he begins to say, all right, it's, it's time for me to kind of walk you into a deeper level, he'll let you taste and see that, like the Bible says, that, that the Lord is, is good. You know, so I'm sitting in that coffee shop, I see that, and, and I just begin to weep, and I say, God, I, I want this, I, I don't know what this is. You know, and, and just God begins to prompt my soul and say, Joe, I, I want you to print out the application, and that's the school that I want you to go to. You see, let me clarify some things. The school was a school that taught a doctrine that I wasn't raised it taught a way of life that I wasn't raised before. And I never heard of this school before. I never heard of what this school teaches before. I, I never heard of the United Pentecostal Church. I, I never heard of the apostolic faith or, or be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. All of that stuff was foreign to me. You know, but, but there's just something about trusting God when God speaks. Because sometimes God will, will, just, will just call you into walking into a deeper walk with him without giving you a full roadmap of which direction you're going to take. You see, and that, that, really, that really bucks against our ideologies because we live in a GPS generation where, where we plug in the address where we want to go and then we can pull up the direction to see exactly which steps we're going to take to where we can avoid the construction, to where we can avoid the traffic, to where we can avoid everything. But, but that's not how the plan of God works often. God will tell you, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to take you, but I'm not going to tell you how you're going to get there. 
<laughs> and that really conflicts a lot of how we're, how we're raised. So God says, are you going to trust me? Or are you going to lean onto your own understanding? Are you going to trust me? Or are you going to lean onto my steps for your life? So something was just riled in me, and I said, God, now I'm going to trust you. So I, I printed out the application. I sent the application in. The acceptance letter came back in, and, 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 and I take it to Dad. And I say, Dad, God spoke to me that I have to go to this school. I'm 17 at this time, and, 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 and Dad says, well, Joe, I'm, I'm not going to let you go to a school that, that, that teaches something that I didn't raise you. And I don't know what they teach, Joe, so I'm not going to let you go right off the bat. I, I want to figure out what this school teaches. It was September at the time. And, and he said, from September to January, we're going to visit the school five times. Each time we're going to test them doctrinally. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what they teach, Joe. And if I, if I disagree with a single thing this school teaches, then you're not going to go. Well, that's fair. That's fair. So I said, all right. Because I was just crazy enough to believe that if God wanted it to happen, God was going to make it happen. Because, because that's what we have to understand about the plan of God is that there's nothing you could do to hinder the plan of God. There's nothing you could do to possibly detour the plan of God. No, God knows everything from end to beginning. God, God knows what paths you're going to take before you actually take the path. So it's always safer just to trust in his governing hand and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know you, you're king. So, so the first visit, second, third, fourth, and fifth visit combined, they all get canceled. They all get canceled the day before to do some, my dad was the pastor, and they all get canceled to do some random church emergencies. You see how God works? Because sometimes we, in our natural, rationalistic ways, we try to put roadblocks in the plan of God. And God says, I'm not going to let any roadblocks come up when my divine plan is at play. See, some of us, we, we ask God for direction, and we ask God to open a door, and we ask God to to break the waters and split the waters and and when God actually does it show you it shows you how how scary sometimes the path is to get there we we don't have the boldness to walk that way and we're like you know what I'm gonna stand right here because it's much more comfortable to stand on my little boat than it is to go walk on the waters that are stuck that are storming so God I'm gonna just stand on my boat where I have my security where I have my peace where I have my joy and and I'm gonna just let that happen and when my boat gets closer to that then then I'll jump out but when now's not time you know, but God's saying, let's stop trying to probe God and let's stop trying to direct God and let's just get to the place where we trust God, where we say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know you're, you're in charge. You know, so, so my first time on campus was January 9th, 2010, when I moved in as a student. <laughs> and, and, and it was a Friday and my dad comes in with me and he says, Joe, if I, if I disagree with a single thing this school teaches, you're going to get back in the car and, and we're just going to go back home. And I said, that's fair. I agree. Let's do it. So we go in and we sit down with the Bible scholar of the school and, and my dad just starts hammering off questions left and right. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? What do you... They talked about everything in the book for a solid two hours, but the two things we disagreed on, <laughs> which would be Jesus' name, baptism, and the oneness of God, you know, because that's just how God works sometimes. God will just let a temporary blindness come over certain nuances of your circumstance just so that you can continue to trust him even though you don't really are able to, to track him. You know, when you can't track God, you trust God because that's the reality of following after, after God. So... So dad goes home and Sunday comes by and, oh, and I come out of a Romanian church where we preach Romanian, sing Romanian, everything's in Romanian. So Romanian's my first language. 
<laughs> so, so it's my first time ever in an English-speaking church, which happens to be Calvary Tabernacle, which happens to be one of those services where everybody woke up in the morning, put their tennis shoes on, mixed Red Bull in with their coffee, and just began to come to church ready for just to run, do some cardio. Like, like they just, they just, y'all been in that kind of service before? Like when everybody's just like, you know, it's one of those things. And, and I didn't come out of that kind of church. You see, I, I didn't come out of the kind of church where people clapped or people shouted, where people actually got happy about being in the presence of God. You know, I came out of the church of the frozen chosen. <laughs> where it was a competition on how quiet you can be in the presence of God and, and not a competition on how loud you can get in the presence of God. You know, I'm thankful I'm in a, in a church that, that actually gets happy about shouting in the presence of God. Because it's when you shout with a voice of victory, it's when, when you begin to just rejoice in his presence that, that strongholds actually begin to break, that circumstance begins to really take its chains off your life. It's, it's when you actually get exuberant in his presence that, that things begin to happen. You know, so, so it was one of those services, you know, and I was scared out of my life. And I began to say, oh, God, what did I get myself into? You know, I, I didn't have my car the first semester, well, for the first five weeks. So I, I couldn't really escape, so I was stuck. And, 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 and it just so happened that I was like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, so Monday morning comes by. And my first class at 8 a.m. Monday morning was, was a class by the title of Oneness Theology. Let me break this down a little bit. I wasn't raised believing that doctrine. I wasn't raised believing that way. And if you're sitting under the sound of my voice and, and you don't believe that way, I don't ask you to take my words for it. I ask you to crank open this book and track out who God is. I ask you to crank open the book and really follow God from Genesis to Revelation and ask yourself the question, is the same God of the Old Testament the same God of the New Testament? And if there is a change between the two, then, then you at that moment know that God changed, which ultimately makes God a liar and God cannot lie. Well, I shouldn't have gone on that. But anyways, um, my first class was oneness theology. <laughs> and in that 45-minute class period, I felt myself just enter into the deepest level of pain that I've ever been in in my life. I felt myself just go into the deepest levels of hurt that I've ever been in in my life. Because here I thought I knew what God's plan was. Here I thought I knew the exact nuances of where God wanted to take me. And then God brings me to a place where where teaches something that I wasn't raised, that exhibits a spirit that I wasn't raised, that does ways, does things different ways than, than the way I was doing them prior. And, 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 and it broke my heart because I lost track. I lost track of God. So I went back to, to my dorm room. I don't remember going to any other classes that day. And I, I just got on my knees and I just began to weep. I just began to cry. And I said, God, how could this be your plan for my life? God, how could this, how could this possibly happen? God, how could you allow this to happen? God, I, I thought I could track you. God, I thought I knew you. God, I thought this was your plan. How, how could you guide me in, a, in an area where I just don't know who you are anymore? You know, have you ever been into those circumstances in life where you just could not figure God out anymore? Where you just could not figure out what was the difference between A and B? Where, where you could not figure out why God would allow this to come over your life when you were certain that the promises of God said you were supposed to go that way or, or do that way? But God says, no, 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 I'm going to let sickness come for a little while. I'm going to let financial distress come for a little while. I'm, I'm going to let a little discouragement come for a little while. Just, 
You know, I was reading the book of Chronicles not long ago, and, and there was a scripture in there that said, that said regarding King Hezekiah towards the end of King Hezekiah's life I believe it was it was second chronicles chapter 32 we don't have to pull it up but but it was it was I believe there where where it says a scripture unlike any other scripture in the Bible because it talks regarding King Hezekiah and it says and God left him to test him to see all that was in his heart right there is the only reference where God specifically states that he left somebody to test somebody to see what was in his heart. But then you, you read later on in the book of Psalms and you read later on throughout the, throughout the histories of scripture where, where you do realize that God actually never leaves anybody, where, where God actually never forsakes anybody. But in all reality, he's just a camouflage Christ where to you, he appears like he's uh, got hidden. To, to you, he appears like he's gone. But in, in all reality, he's right there ready to jump in action when, whenever it's time for him to jump in action because God never forsakes his people and God never forsakes his children. God, God does not abandon but sometimes it just appears like God abandons to see am I going to trust him or am I going to trust my own arm am I going to trust my own understanding am I going to trust my own peace am I am I going to understand trust 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 my own way of life you know so so about two months passed from from the moment of that dorm room where in that in that dorm room I adopted a new prayer and I said, God, I, I can't listen to the pastor and the president of the school, Brother Mooney, God, because he's biased. I said, and God, I, I can't listen to my father because my father's biased. I said, so God, I need you to teach me who you are. I need you to show me who you are. I need you to reveal yourself to me in, a, in the same way you did Paul the Apostle where, where it was conflicting views, God. But, but I need you to show me who you are. And God, I don't care if you're three and I don't care if you're one. Whichever you prove yourself to be, God, that is the one I'll follow. You know, and that's where God often brings you. That's where God often brings all of our faith to a, to a place where your understanding of God can go to a new statue, to where your understanding of God could go to a new platform of living, to where your understanding of God is no longer limited by your circumstance, but rather where your circumstance brings you to truly understand God in his wholeness. You know, so, so two months passed. Two months where I no longer heard the voice of God two months where I no longer heard the peace of God, two months where I no longer heard the great things happening. You know, in that dorm room, it was at that moment where I just wished that God would open the heavens and just begin to roar from the heavens and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That I was, I was wishing for just a great miracle just to happen so I wouldn't have to go through all the trouble and the turmoil and the stress and, and the trouble. But God often does not answer that way. God often does not answer us in an instant. Because he wants to see what you're going to do. So after two months, I wish I could say that I maintained faith. But sometimes circumstances don't lead you to the place where you can maintain faith. You know, sometimes pain brings you to the place where, where you lose all hope and you reach rock bottom. You know, one of my mentors tells me, says, Joe, it's a wonderful thing when you hit rock bottom. Because there's only one way from there. <laughs> and you can only go up. So then I look up from where my help comes from and I look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. So it was at that moment I packed my bags and I said, God, forget this. <laughs> this is not your will. This is not your plan. So I packed my car and I got ready to go home. And, and as soon as I looked up to heaven and said, God, you abandoned me. And I'm gonna make sure everybody knows that you abandoned me. <laughs> that the dean of students gets on the PA system. And he says, students, I feel in the Holy Ghost that we need to have a, a prayer meeting tonight. 
He says, so we're all going to meet in the cafeteria about si uh, uh, a room about the size of the sanctuary. He says, we're all going to pray at midnight and we're going to pray into the night and we're just going to see what God does. So I went to that prayer meeting and got on my knees and, and I said, God, if something don't happen tonight, then I'm gone. So about two hours passes and I get my Bible, get ready to walk out of those double doors in the back and, and, and the dean of students gets back up and he stands in front of that, uh, that, that podium that we had sat over there and, and he says, students, I feel in the Holy Ghost that nobody should leave. And that everybody here should just testify of the goodness of the Lord. Have you ever been to that place where you're just going through hell and high water and it's at that moment that somebody wants you to start talking good about God? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny how that happens. It's when you're going through the worst trial of your life and then somebody else needs an encouragement. And you're like, where's mine? <laughs> so I sit down and I say, God, there's no way I'm going to testify. If we could stand, and if the music could come. I say, God, there's no way I'm going to testify. And then I hear the voice of the Lord say, Joe, I want you to testify. <laughs> and I said, God, there's no way I'm going to testify, and you can't make me. I learned quick. And then the third time he said, Joe, I want you to testify. By that moment, the microphone was in my lap, and the Bible was in my lap, and I said, all right, God, well, then let's make it happen. I don't know what I'm going to say, but at that moment, I was a guy of a different faith going to testify to a bunch of people of a different faith. And I said, all right, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's make it happen. So I walked up and I put my Bible on that platform. And I did, I did one of those random open the Bible tricks. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you randomly open the Bible, you point your finger to a verse or whatever that verse says, it, that's the word of the Lord. As long as it don't say something like cut off your hand or pluck out your eye or, or go sacrifice your child or wait. For some people, sacrifice your child may be a bad idea. That's <laughs> a joke. But, but if, if it don't say what you want, then, then you just close it and flip it open again and point again and you just keep flipping until it says what you need it to say. But it's funny how this time worked. Because I was standing in front of all my peers at that moment and I randomly opened the Bible. And I know I didn't give you this scripture, but if we can pull it up. Um, it opens to Matthew 28 and verse 19. Now, if there was one verse in the Bible that would back up my old faith, it would have been this verse. Because I'm sitting in front of all my students, all, the, all my peers, and I go, get ready to read, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And as soon as I read that for the first time, among all those students, I hope I don't spook anybody out, but, but God, God allows a vision to come over me where I'm no longer present behind that pulpit with those students in that cafeteria, but I was just in a room about this size and it was just me and God. It was a dark room. It was just me and, and Jesus. And Jesus begins to ask me, and he says, Joe, what's on your mind? And I begin to state every discouraging word, every negative aspect, everything. I start to just tell it to God in that vision. And then God says, Joe, read the verse to me. So I read it to the Lord. To go ye therefore and teach all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's at that moment that the Lord began to say in that vision, Joe, my name is Jesus, and there is none else but me. <laughs> you see, church, 
everything came back to normal. I was back in that cafeteria. I don't know what I said, but my peers were on their faces, praising, shouting, some crying, and, and I fell to my knees and I just began to weep. And it was no longer tears of pain and tears of sorrow and tears of confusion and, and tears of question, but it was tears of joy because it was at that moment that God revealed his name. And really in all reality, that's all I ever needed was a revelation of the name. Because the blessing of pain is that it's in pain that you see his name. It's in pain that you see who your God is. It's in pain that you see him in, in purity. It's in pain that you see him in sincerity. It's in, it's in the struggle that you face on the day to day that, that you see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. That is why Paul would look at the Ephesians and say, God, I pray that you open the eyes of their understanding that they may see, and in short, that they may see your name. <laughs> so I came to the reality that the answer to all circumstance is not God heal us from cancer. It's not God bring back my child. No, it's not God do this and do this, do this. No, no, no. It's a perspective change. The answer to our circumstance is God, just, just show me your name. Because once I see how big your name is and once I see how, how powerful your name is, once I see how grand you are, God, then cancer stands no shot in your presence. Once I see how wonderful you are, then, then sickness stands no shot in your presence. When, once I understand how big you are, then, then financial confusion stands no shot in your presence. So God, show me your name. Show me who you are. I wonder if we could close our eyes. Could you just begin to thank God? Could you just begin to lift God's name up in thanksgiving and honor and sincerity? Just, just thank him for, for where you are found in life, knowing that you are in his governing hand. Could you, could you thank him? Oh, come on, let's offer unto him an offering of thanksgiving. Oh, and we're going to move forward with this altar call in just a second, but, but let's not push past Thanksgiving. Let's, let's thank God for where you are. Let's thank God for, for what he's allowed. Let's thank God for, for guiding you, for teaching you, for covering you, for anointing you. Yes, God. Yes, God. Now, the reason I ask everybody at ice to be closed is because it's, it's nobody's business who's going through circumstance and who's going through trouble and who's going through, through trials. Because we're a community kind of church and we're a life-giving church where we support one another's burdens, where we pick up one another's struggles and where we say, God, you're king over us. So help my brother as I need your help. Help my sister as I need your help. So I'm going to ask you in a sincere faith with our eyes closed that if you stepped into this house with a trial, if you stepped into this house for God to do something in your life, if you stepped into this house with sickness, or, or if you have a family member who, who is sick, if you stepped into this house with any circumstance, and you know God is able, and you know that you need God to do it the way God needs to do it, could you just lift your hands and say, God, I, I know you can. I don't know what it is, and I don't know how it's going to happen, God, but, but I know you can heal. I know you can deliver. I know you can bring back, God. I know that you can make a way where there seemed to be no way. Oh, yes. <laughs> 
many hands went up in this house. Now the Bible builds the principles of faith. How the greatest measure of faith is can you make a step forward when you have no evidence for your healing? Could you make a step forward when you have no proof for your deliverance? Could you make a step forward where you need God to do it, where you can't really measure God or track God? So I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand and you needed God to do something in your life, that you weren't alone, many hands went up. If, if you need God to do something, why don't you step up to this altar and say, God, I'm going to step forward in faith. And I'm going to say, God, in faith that you can. In faith you can heal. In faith you can deliver. God, in faith you can make a way where there seemed to be no way. God, in faith you're going to reveal your name to me. God, in faith you can bring my child back. God, in faith you can heal my body. God, in faith you can provide for me. God, you did it for Joe, so do it for me. Uh. So can we lift our hands and can we lift our voice and in measures of surrender and can we say, God, show me your glory. God, show me your faith. God, show me your power. Upon the authority of the word of God and upon the name of Jesus Christ, I bind every circumstance under the sound of my voice. I, I bind sickness. I bind depression. I bind oppression. I bind financial distress. I, I bind confusion. I bind it all in the name of Jesus Christ. And I loose over life spring church healing. I loose over life spring church fresh life, renewed life. I loose over life spring church liberty. I loose over life spring church a fresh identity. That God, you're able. It is this we call upon in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. Now could you begin to just strip yourself of the circumstance. Strip yourself of the trouble. Strip yourself of the depression. And just, just let it go at the throne of governing God. Could you just let it go at the throne of Jesus Christ. And say, God, I know you're going to do it. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. For God, it's a blessing for me to go through it.